Coach, how's it going? Going great, David. Excited to talk with you. Thank you. Coach, you want to give yourself a, a brief introduction to the listeners? Sure. Josh Merkel, head coach of Randolph-Macon basketball in Ashland, Virginia, in the ODAC, uh, and father of two boys, five and one. I love it. Coach, you know, you grew up in Walkersville, Maryland. You attended St. John's Prospect Hall right outside Frederick. What were you like growing up? <laughs> uh, grew up on a farm. We didn't necessarily have that many animals, but a lot of land. Um, had our own court there. I wasn't, uh, it wasn't in the neighborhood, so uh, it was a lot of time spent shooting on my own. My mom played at Maryland. She was my first coach, my first teacher, taught me how to shoot. Um, and then, yeah, going to Prospect Hall, I would say, shaped me a ton. As uh, especially in terms of basketball, that's where I, I found uh, my my passion for it uh, even more than I, what I had uh, playing for a nationally ranked program and Hall of Fame coaches Stu Vetter, Kevin Sutton. Still remember that ninth grade year when I was playing uh, JV basketball and Kevin Sutton was a model for me and someone that I said, man, that's that's what I want to do is I want to coach uh, high school basketball and be the motivator, inspirational uh, model that. that the coaches were for me at that time. So, um, yeah, I was, you know, in, into athletics and uh, very active as a kid. And the oldest of nine, I should say that. Um, you know, I say won the parent lottery. Uh, my parents have influenced and shaped me as much as anybody. And uh, being the oldest of nine, had opportunities to um, kind of be a leader in that way as well. Wow, nine kids. So so how long did you usually have to wait to uh, take a shower in the morning? <laughs> Well, being the oldest, you had certain uh, advantages and privileges, so it, it wasn't uh, wasn't as bad for me. And uh, I was probably on a different schedule uh, than the than the other ones as well. Being the oldest. Now you played alongside Nate James, if I'm not mistaken. What was he like as a teammate? And who dished out more assists, you or him? <laughs> uh, Nate played a lot more than me. You know, McDonald's All American. Uh, he, he was tremendous. He was, uh, you know, obviously his game speaks for itself, but uh, great leadership. He was about all the right things. He was about winning. He would sacrifice his individual stats for the, for the better of the team. Uh, you know, Nate, Nate was a winner. Now, he was also built like a grown man back in high school. I can remember coach would track the, uh, your bench press record, and it was posted in the weight room. And it felt like everybody was chasing Nate James for the longest time and nobody was going to catch that dude. Um, he was in that 275 and, and maybe even 300-pound club uh, at some point in his high school career in terms of uh, bench press. So, yeah, that's what I remember about playing with Nate and, and a lot of other great players uh, on those teams. You know, after high school, you stayed in Maryland. Uh, you become a student athlete at Salisbury. What made you choose to suit up for the Seagulls? Well, they had they were coming off uh, an elite eight year. Um, a lot of it came down to location. There were uh, you know it's three hour drive from from my family. I just mentioned being the oldest of nine, um, but the winning tradition, uh, the the cost was a big factor. I had made a deal with my dad that I was going to pay for school, and Salisbury being a state school, it was certainly the most affordable. Um, you know, I know your experience at Catholic. But Catholic actually recruited me probably the hardest. Uh, Mike Lonergan there was a relentless recruiter. And, um, but the package, it was, uh, was going to be too expensive. So um, wasn't able to make that one happen. And, uh, you know, really happy for the way things turned out. Some of my best friends and, and great memories and some, some great teams there at Salisbury playing for both Ward Lambert and Steve Holmes there. Now, like you just mentioned, you played for two different head coaches, both who had very successful careers. Did they have something similar in their coaching styles, or were they pretty different? Well, I only got to play for Coach Holmes one year, um, and certainly a player's coach and uh, very personable. You could have a lot of conversations with Coach, really understood the game. And uh, Coach Lambert had, uh, you know, the Paul Westfall, running gun style. I know we were always top 10 in scoring. Uh, he wanted you to be supremely conditioned. He was also a professor at the school. He taught stats. He was very analytical. Everything 
uh, was about the numbers, not everything, but he was very big on numbers and quality stats. And, um, and just, we were going to be the best conditioned team. We were on that track. We, uh, we had 6am practices all three years we were there. Um, and so, you know, I was able to take away, uh, a great deal from both coaches. So your senior year, you split with Catholic, uh, and your loss to them was actually a single possession game. How difficult was it? And, you know, what, what did you feel like when they won that D3 national championship after, you know, they had recruited you so hard? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, it's so long ago, and I don't know, I might have suppressed some of that memory uh, because of maybe some pain from back then. Um, I, I just remember, you know, on one hand, the positive is, we were good enough to beat the national champs on their home floor. And then the other, the next thing is you're always looking at what you could do better. And, and uh, I just felt like we, we underachieved. Now some of it had to do with injury, but um, I felt like we, we had more in the tank and we didn't get to achieve our full potential as a team that season. I think that's, that's what it was about more um, and, and would have loved to experience getting into the tournament and, and uh, having some success once you get there. You know, you finished your career. You were fourth in career three-pointers made. You were a four-year member of the uh, all-academic team for the conference. And then after graduating cum laude in 2001, you returned to Prospect Hall as the head coach of the JV team as well as a varsity assistant for a few years. Talk about that experience. Yeah, that was a great time. I I loved working with Coach Bruce Kelly, who gave me that first job, that first chance. Uh, Bruce let me coach the – the team in summer league. And uh, so Stu Vetter had moved on. Bruce had taken over. Bruce uh, had coached at American University before that. So we're talking about another guy who, uh, you know, lifetime in basketball, great player at Catholic himself, um, and just a really great mentor. He and I still talk weekly. And um, so it was a great experience. And then to be a head coach, too, in that world, uh, for him to, to let me take that JV team is a pretty young Head coach was great experience, making a bunch of mistakes, learning a ton from that experience. Um, and then playing in the MIAA, we were in the A division that year too with uh, some great players, Al Sowers, Jared Lyons, who both went on to have great D3 careers. And Jared is now coaching uh, at Washington Adventist as well. So great teams, uh, great fond memories from the relationships there. And, um, you know, look, look back and, and I was able to grow a lot during that time. In 2004, you spent the season as a graduate assistant at West Virginia under John Beeline. Talk about that season. You guys, I know, make it to the Elite Eight, uh, you know, losing to Louisville. But, you know, talk about that experience and, and how you landed it. Well, it was like getting a Ph.D. in coaching. Um, not only John Beeline, but an incredible staff was there with him at the time. Jeff Neubauer, who I ended up uh, going with to Eastern Kentucky a year later, uh, Jerry Dunn, Matt Brown, we had uh, just so just being around some great guys. And then the, the players on that uh, on that team, a lot of them have gone into coaching as well and had some success. Hamlet Tibbs was a manager on that team. Hamlet's now an assistant in Vermont. But, um, yeah, it was uh, it was an immersion. And, uh, you know, for me, who played Division three basketball, then to be thrown into Division one and not just Division one, but the Big East and, and not just the Big East, but uh, making a run in the NCAAs. It was, um, you know, like out of a dream. It was uh, just a phenomenal opportunity. I'll forever be grateful to Coach Beeline, Coach Neubauer, for giving me that shot, that opportunity. How did it come about? We had taken our team up there for team camp uh, every summer. I got to know Coach Neubauer the best from going up there. And um, so really the the relationship grew from there. We we talked a little bit um, from time to time, nothing crazy, when it came time for them to be looking for a GA. Um, I, I interviewed with the staff. I always joke, and Coach Beeline told me this, that, you know, I wasn't that first choice. But uh, I think when, when the first nine guys turned it down, I, I hung in there the longest, and uh, he, he gave me a shot. Sounds like me at Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's about get, getting lucky and then making the most when you get that opportunity. Exactly. You kind of touched on it, but, you know, a number of those West Virginia players from that roster, Pat Beeline, Darius Nichols, Frank Young, got into college coaching, and then even Mike Gansey mm-hmm. worked his way up to the assistant GM of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Is it a coincidence or the type of guys that Coach Beeline 
recruits, uh, you know, that they start to gravitate toward a career in basketball once the ball stops bouncing? Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's um, he's so passionate, uh, loves the game, loves to teach the game that, uh, you know, when you get better at something. So let's just say, you know, as we're sitting in all those film sessions, everyone's understanding the game at a deeper level, which helps you to enjoy the game at a deeper level. It's like golf. You know, the better you get, the more you want to play. And, and I think so I, I, I'd be hard. It's hard to say it would be a coincidence. I, I think there's a lot to be said for how he teaches and then who he attracts. You know, he attracts guys that want to develop, uh, that love being around the game, that, that love competing, um, to do the shooting challenges, uh, the ball handling work. They know they're going to develop uh, if they put the work in. You know, you talk about Coach Neubauer getting uh, the Eastern Kentucky job. You know, you go with him, uh, you finished your master's, and then you remained as an assistant coach for five years under him. Besides recruiting and coaching on the floor during practices, what kind of increased role and responsibilities did you have on your plate? Yeah, I mean, it was a phenomenal time. Again, Co- Coach Neubauer is a great teacher. So we, we were uh, running a one three one. We were running a two-guard on offense. Um, it was recruiting a different uh, region. So, um, cold calling coaches, getting to know that area, um, and different areas around there. It was the staff getting to work with coach Ted Hotelling, David Boyden, Dale Wellman. Uh, we, we had a phenomenal staff there that, um, you know, was pouring into me as well. So other than that, it was the learning about the relationships with the players. I was in charge of academics too. While I was there, um, recruiting, as you know, can be full time in itself. Uh, I finished my master's there, so there were a couple summers of of uh, taking a class here and there. Um, yeah, so th- th- that's what I would say. But uh, certainly, recruiting and on the on the court and developing our players were were the priorities. You returned to your D three roots, becoming an assistant coach at Randolph Macon uh, during the two thousand ten two thousand eleven season under Nathan Davis. What about that situation made it feel like the right move for you? Well, it goes back to, um, you know, I'm I'm living in Kentucky. I'm the oldest of nine, very close to the family. The whole family's on the East Coast. There was just a little sense. And, you know, when you're in Division I, um, it can be all-consuming. You don't necessarily control your schedule. So as my siblings were growing up, I I felt like I was missing missing this or missing that. And I just – I started to look at if there was a chance to go back to the East Coast, be a little closer – then that might be the, the right move for me. And, um, but then you can't choose where you go a lot of times uh, in athletics and especially in division one. So there were, there were a handful. And then I'll say, I wanted to be a head coach. I, I, I felt like if um, having been a D three player, it could have taken me 20 years as a D one assistant before maybe um, getting a crack at a at a at a tough D one, you know, where there's a bunch of challenges. So, and that's a that's a maybe, you know, if everything goes perfect according to plan. Um, but I had a, I had a drive and a passion to be a head coach and be a leader and impact in that way. And obviously, I believed in D three that um, you know there's some great positives that come in ownership and uh, virtues and uh, qualities that you can develop playing at that level. So for me, if you were going to be a Division three head coach, there's no better place to go learn than being at Randolph-Macon. And, and I had a connection with J.D. Byers, who was the assistant to Nathan. And um, so J.D. and I had been talking, and I knew that he was going to be moving on to St. Francis. And, you know, he said, do you want me to talk to Coach Davis about you? I said, absolutely. And so that's what started that. I had an interview with Coach Davis, and uh, thankful to him for – because we didn't know each other at all. Uh, going into it but uh, he gave me a chance he um, gave me the interview gave me a chance and and I was able to hit the ground running I think all my recruiting experience certainly um, helped going in there because we were we were graduating a big class and that was one of the things that he wanted from that role from that assistant is just a guy that could get it done in recruiting so he could even better coach the team and um, you know I think we we did that we had a good year in recruiting and uh, yeah that's how that came about and, um, you know, it wasn't an easy decision to, to leave. And, and a lot of, you know, a lot of peers will say, man, how could you do that? But for me, it was a great opportunity to learn um, a little bit differently, you know, um, from a different head coach, get another um, perspective in there. But I'd also never been a Division three 
coach, even though I played it, I wanted to learn it. And I, there were, there were so many things to learn from being in that world. Just how those guys go about their business was different than how we went about it at Salisbury. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but uh, to me, it was learning about a different level of commitment uh, that was program wide that uh, I believe started with coach Webb or coach Nunley or coach Rowe. Any, any one of those guys continued to put their stamp on the program and, um, and made it what it is. You know, that team goes 25 and five captures a share of the ODAC regular season title 13 and three in conference. You guys win the tournament crown. Did that help you feel like you made the right decision after such a successful season? Well, winning always helps with everything. <laughs> um, but I think just a, it's, it's a long-term approach. And, that, you know, I think when, when people commit to decisions, then they just got to commit wholeheartedly. Or, you know, my dad likes to say, when you look back, you go back. So you, you can't be looking in the rearview mirror. The, the windshield is much bigger than that rearview mirror. And um, you, you want to be looking forward. So um, I, I won't say, I mean, if we were five and 25, that probably would have been harder to digest. Um, but that was a phenomenal team, David. Uh, the, the guys that I was, even the players, I mean, I learned a lot from, from the players on that team, Kevin Volkel, Danny Jones, Brandon Braxton, Adam Desgane. I mean, I absolutely love those guys, being with those guys. They had just been to the final four the year before. And, um, you know, it, it helped further my growth as a coach I'll, I'll forever be grateful to the lessons I learned and those are things that we pass to our guys and and also uh, allow our guys to tap in and, and kind of be mentored by some of those guys that have come before them now your alma mater names you their next head coach uh, when your former head coach retires how did it feel to be back home and how would you compare your first season as a college head coach to when you were the head coach of that JV team at Prospect Hall? <laughs> oh, man, that's a great question. Um, well, it, it, was, it was absolutely um, a, a gift, magical, going back to Salisbury. It just the, seeing some people that I hadn't seen in a long time, um, there was, uh, it was a great, a great feeling to, to be thought of that, that I could be the, the guy that would lead them. Um, so I'm thankful to the, to the belief that the committee and uh, – Don Chamberlain and, and people there had in me. So that's what I would say. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, every year, you, the more you learn, the more pressure maybe you put on yourself. So I, I think, um, you know, I put, put on some pressure on myself and that group to, um, you know, kind of climb the mountain as quickly as we could. And I, I would say that was maybe, maybe the bigger difference. And then the recruiting is always, you know, it's a lot different. Uh, the age level, when you talk about JV kids to college kids, uh, we had an older group and, uh, you know, I love coaching that mature level. Um, you know, the 22 year old versus the 18 year old or younger, uh, you know, there can be a lot more growth as those guys, you know, age, get older. You know, your first season, uh, you had Josh Stein and Jared Lyons remain on your staff. Talk about how difficult it is to keep high caliber assistant coaches for multiple seasons at the small college level, particularly D3? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, well, it's hard because the, the money, the salary is, is a big piece of it. So we never had full-time assistance there. And uh, Jared Lyons was a GA. So you're looking at a two-year commitment. And then guys are, you know, going to need to make some, some real money or they can't continue in that role. Um, and so, you, you know, you're lucky sometimes if a guy can get a job around campus or as a teacher and then swing over there. But that, that's also going to limit their recruiting and how often they can be at practice. So you get, you get lucky sometimes with um, maybe a high school teacher or somebody that just really wants to be around your team and that isn't doing it for the money piece. Um, but yeah, I, I would say, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned it in the question. It, it's, it's hard at any level, at any level, even when you are paying people, to get quality people, um, you know, there's just such a, there's so much demand demanded of coaches uh, in terms of how they build their players and to build the team uh, while they're building themselves and maybe raising a family that, um, you know, there can be a lot placed on that guy. So when you, when you find good ones, you, you, um, you appreciate them for life. No doubt. 
you know, in 2014, 2015, you're named the, the Capital Athletic Conference Coach of the Year. You guys go 21-8, and 14-4 and four in conference, the first 20-win season in, since 96-97. Set a bunch of records. Um, you know, after that, that first tournament title and the second one in program history, was your phone starting to heat up from scholarship-level schools wanting to uh, interview you? <laughs> no, no. Nope, not at all. Um, but it, but it was, it was an awesome journey to, uh, you know, kind of climb the mountain with that group and, um, you know, felt like, uh, we were in a good place with a lot of those guys coming back as well. Um, so it was just a special group. I loved it for those seniors, Connor Strickland, Nick Sparacino. Uh, we had a ton of juniors on that group. It was just a kind of a veteran group, older group, mature group that had been through a bunch of adversity and came together. And I think, uh, if you were interview members of that group, they're, they're still close to this day, which I'm probably most proud of is how connected they are as a group, even after playing together. Uh, but it, w- it was a really special year. Where's Nick coaching now? I know he was at Washington College, and then he was a GA at Longwood. Nick at now? is at Bullis with uh, Bruce Kelly. So it comes first full circle. But uh, he's working for Bruce Kelly now at Bullis. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, during your final season there, uh, you had Maurice Williams on your staff. Now he's the head coach, uh, you know, got hired in 2019. What about him stood out during the interview process to be on your coaching staff? Well, well first thing is his faith. And that, that was showing up even on Twitter when you went on his social media. You could tell this was a man of faith. Um, a couple other things that stood out. I mean, he's got a great story. And, and let me, before I forget too, I mean, Mo was extremely – invaluable in, in our success that year. Um, he worked with the bigs, but also just uh, really connected with some of those older guys and, uh, you know, behind the scenes, did, just did a phenomenal job. Like we didn't have any issues off the court once we got into January, February. And I know Mo and his, his guidance, his mentorship with, with certain guys went a long way. Um, and, you know, that, that stuff goes unnoticed or unrecognized, uncelebrated sometimes, but he, he was phenomenal with that group. And, big reason for our success. We don't, we don't do what we did without him. Um, you know, the interview, even before the interview, again, it goes back to his career, his story. He had been cut by Salisbury and then transferred to Frostburg. I don't know if you knew that about Mo. And um, so yep. at Frostburg was, was an all league guy. He kicked our tail. Uh, my only loss at Frostburg was when he scored like 29 and 12 and I think shot 15 free throws. Um, so you know, I knew I knew of Mo going into it, but um, he, he's got a passion for helping young people. He's got a passion for basketball and leadership and growth and no ego. And so, you know, interview wise, it, it was a no brainer. It was just, um, you know, is this guy going to be able to do it uh, within the budget constraints? Like I said, not not being a full time position. So we, we were fortunate that he was able to swing it and make it work. And, uh, and it's worked out well for him, too, which, which I love. Absolutely. You know, during your four years in Salisbury, the team goes 66 and 41. You guys are 37 and 25 in conference. How difficult was it to leave for Randolph Macon? It's difficult. You know, I, um, I got nothing but great memories. I played there four years. I've, I've coached there for four years. I met my wife there. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say there were very few places that I was leaving there for. I never imagined myself leaving there. But uh, Randolph-Macon comes along, and, and it, it's, um, it's, just a, it's a rich tradition. And uh, there, there was just a pull there that um, – and, and location had something to do with it. I felt like um, in terms of, you know, maybe opportunity for my wife and uh, to raise the family – here in Richmond, uh, that's just something that we, we looked at. And, um, yeah, at the end of the day, it felt like an opportunity that um, was speaking to our family and, and something that we uh, was worth pursuing. But uh, I can tell you, not, not an easy decision whatsoever um, for someone that, that likes to go to a, you know, one place, Prospect Hall, four years, Salisbury, four years, went back to each of my alma maters to coach. Um, but then there's also that, that part of me that loves the adventure and the challenge and felt like I was leaving it in a good place. Um, and, you know, so, so part of me wanted to test myself and, and see if I could maybe, maybe do it again in, in a different way. 
um, in, in a program that uh, had been nothing but successful, but that the expectations were going to be, you know, very real. You know, you get hired by Randolph Macon, like we said, you're the fifth head coach since 1956. And they've really always kept it in the family with Nathan Davis, Mike Rhodes, Hal Nunley, Paul Webb. Did you feel a pressure to win at a high level just because, you know, of the coaches who came before you? I would say yes, but no, no more pressure than I would put on myself. Um, and pressure is not a bad thing either. So I don't even look at it as a bad word. Uh, you know, stress might be a bad word, but stress is uh, being unprepared for something you care deeply about. So um, felt like I had been preparing, still prepare every day, do my best. Uh, but but I would say, yes, there, there's, um, you know, big shoes to fill. Um, I, I think if anything, as we've been able to turn the corner, um, some of it has been just letting go of, of those outside expectations and coaching with more freedom. Um, and, that, and that's something that I had to learn. That's something that I had to learn in the early years. And, uh, you know, comparison being the thief of joy, but don't compare yourself. Don't try to be like anybody else. Go be the best you that you can be. And, um, and hopefully that will be enough when you get the right group around you, the right guys on the bus, get everybody pushing the flywheel in the same direction. Then I, I think good things will happen. You know, Coach, a lot of the people I've interviewed on this podcast have come into jobs where they weren't in great situations. They weren't left, you know, better than they found it or whatnot. What were your first few weeks and months like on the job inheriting a pretty darn good program? Yeah, he left it in great shape. And uh, I I like to say that that, uh, I did nothing but screw it up there for for 12 months or more. Um, We lost eight seniors, so you could point to that. And – you know, there, there's those guys were so good. The grade eight, they won 92 games in their four year career. They went 28 and three as seniors. Um, I, I just think that team relied on those guys a lot. And then you have Nathan Davis, who's a phenomenal coach, one of the best that I've ever worked with. Um, and so he and his staff go. And so it's a new staff, eight seniors leave. Not only were they talented and provided a lot of on the court, but they were also the leadership off the court um, and, and everybody kind of turned to those guys. So then there was only one senior. And so that's a hard task for anybody um, to have one senior and a new staff and only three juniors. And we had, I believe it was eight sophomores and six freshmen. So it was just a, it was a young group and uh, you know, some things is looking back that I would probably do differently and certain things I would focus on more, but we had some good freshmen. And as you know, at the high level, sometimes freshmen, even though talented, look at Kentucky, they don't, they're not always ready to win right away. And, and that was a big piece of it too, is that um, we, we were playing those five freshmen as freshmen. And, uh, and that ended up, you know, being good for us in the long term, but not so much in that first year. You know, during that 2016, 2017 season, uh, you guys finished 17 and nine overall. Uh, 13 and three in conference, you know, share the regular season title with Guilford. Were you pleased with the progress your team made during that first season? Uh, yeah, please never satisfied. I, I would say okay. the, the way that I try to look at it every year and um, judge myself is did, did we, did we reach our potential as a team? Where, where did we fall short? Where, where could I do better? What did we do well? What needs work? And I, I would say at the end of those years, when you're not making the tournament um, at a place where, you know, Nathan Davis had been seven straight years, um, you, you just expect it. It's just expected to go. And anything short of that feels like a failure. And so we just had to look at it and say, how can we learn from this? Um, so, yeah, I can say, please, never satisfied. Uh, I, I liked the trajectory. I liked where we were going. I felt like we were developing. Um, and I felt like we were developing as leaders, as men but uh, that that hadn't taken hold on the court uh, in the way that we wanted to just yet. You know, in your second season at the helm, you're voted the ODAC coach of the year, uh, 12 and four in conference. You guys win the regular season title. Um, You had guys and players like Daniel Noe uh, continue to improve. How much player development did you and your staff 
do during practices. I know a lot of coaches, you know, it's team concepts, it's offenses, it's defenses. And in D3, you really can't coach in the offseason at all. So how much player development did you guys do? Yeah, well, I mean, coming from Coach Beeline, I mean, it's always going to be we're going to shoot for 15 to 20 minutes each practice. We're going to we're going to make sure that we spend time on the details. We're going to watch the film. We're going to make guys more self-aware of what, what it is that they really need to be working on. I think part of development is helping guys understand what they should be working on. So, you know, if you give guys three balls to juggle, they might be able to keep three in the air. But if you give them a fourth, they're going to lose all of them. And so not, not giving guys too many things to be thinking about or working on, helping narrow their focus, getting it down to one, maybe two things. Uh, that, that's a big piece of it. But then also uh, I would say is our internal competition is uh, iron sharpens iron. We, we want our games to be the most competitive pickup that they can play anywhere. And, and I think that's how guys develop is when they're getting challenged on a daily basis. Um, I think, I think that's a big piece for the development because especially at our level, we can't work with them six months of the year. They've got to be self-driven and intrinsically motivated and get after it in the summer and, you know, follow the program, but, um, but, but do it without the coaches watching over them. You know, in your third year, you guys go 27 and four overall 15 to one in ODAC play you know, really starting to become a, a national power again. The team wins its third regular season title. Uh, you guys go to the Sweet 16. You're again named the ODAC Coach of the Year. And, you know, guys like Buzz Anthony are, are named second-team All-Americans. Coach, hey, this is kind of a random question, and I ask it because where I'm coaching now, you know, they put up a, a banner, and, and next to the season, you know, they put COVID-19. <laughs> what, what do you put – on, um, on a banner or what do you, what do you do at, at Randolph making with the success you guys have? Is it just sweet 16? How do you guys? Yeah, we just it? redid the banners and what we did is instead of, uh, cause we've got a bunch of other successful teams in, in women's volleyball and women's basketball. And so they've got a number of banners. So we were starting to run out of space in the rafters for the banners. And so um, we did what a lot of schools do is start to consolidate. And so we don't have specific season banners anymore. So my guess is uh, we've got a banner up there with Sweet 16s. And uh, that, that year we'll go into the Sweet 16 banner. There won't be a COVID banner that goes up with that team on it. Um, so I like your, like your idea a lot more <laughs> than ours, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Crazy times. You know, after the year, you're named the NABC South District Coach of the Year, Virginia SID Coach of the Year, as well as obviously the ODAC Coach of the Year for the third straight season. How large of a trophy case do you have in your office, and how impressive is it, you think, to those recruits who come on in? and uh, <laughs> David, I can uh, – <laughs> well, first, I would say I'm always uh, appreciative that, that peers, that coaches in the ODAC would think enough of me because I, I think a heck of a lot of those guys – um, there, there's about five or six guys that I would vote to get that award over me, but I would say it is a, I look at that as my, my staff, my assistants, like Dave Maturo has been with me since day one. He, he deserves that award. If I could, if I could hand that over to him, um, then, then he's the one that should get that. I don't, I don't think it means a whole lot to, say recruits, to be honest. I think what they want is a personal connection. They could care less about that coach of the year. It's about, Hey, are you competent? Do you care about me? Uh, do you have my best interest? Do you know who I am as a, as a person? I think that's what recruits, you know, want to uh, want to hear. And, um, you know, I, I'd give up all of those to, uh, you know, be playing one more game each, each season or to go a little further or uh, or to keep getting the right guys. Coach, it's funny you said that because I want to say the first time we met was in 2015. You're at a, a PGC clinic presenting. And, you know, I just remember – coming up to you afterwards and just, you know, introduce myself, uh, thanking you for taking the time to present. And, uh, I mean, you sent me the, the PowerPoint that day. I think looking at my email now, it was like an hour afterwards. So, I mean, you can tell you're just a genuine salt-of-the-earth guy. And, uh, you know, yes, heck of a coach, but I could see why, you know, parents would want their players and their, um, their children. Well, I, pre I appreciate that, uh, that story and that, you know, and, and you even asking for those notes. I hope it gave you some value. I hope you got something out of it. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think um, I think there's two sides of that coin because um, it, it's for the right parents, it's for the right kids, it's for those that want their son to be challenged and understand that uh, that that adversity is going to help them grow. It's like the rubber band. It's like you know, you you don't you stretch it too much and it will break, but if you don't stretch it at all, then it then it can't you know go any further or do its job. Yeah. And so we want to get the right amount of tension and stress on our guys uh, while we support them through the process. And um, you know, it's a, it's a battle, as you know. Recruiting is a battle of uh, telling your story and getting the right guys on the bus. Um, but but it's fun. It's fun to get to know the families and the players through that process and, and build that trust so that when they do come to campus, you can hit the ground running. You talked about the recruiting aspect of it. Uh, at least once in the offseason, I, I remember getting on Twitter and saying, you guys had the best recruiting class in the country. Getting a guy like Will Page, who never <laughs> lost a sprint uh, at Paul the Sixth. I mean, I, I loved recruiting him. Great, great young man. He's got a bright future. You had Daniel from Fairfax. You got Lance Johnson, guys like that, and even guys from outside of uh, Northern Virginia. You know, this year's got to be difficult because, like I said, you guys go twenty-five and zero at home, but you're not—you're probably not going to have fans allowed this season. So, talk about the importance of having uh, guys with a high motor and and obviously highly skilled players such as those guys uh, this season. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing with recruiting is, you know, those guys. Um... As we've seen before, you know, the ranking of recruiting class doesn't matter a whole lot. It's what they do when they get there. It's how hard they work. It's how they buy in. It's how they learn the game. It's uh, how they mesh with their teammates. And I, I am excited about those new guys. That They've done a phenomenal job. Uh, it hasn't been ideal or easy navigating COVID uh, for college athletes, but they've done it incredibly. Uh, head is up. Um, man, they're, they're, they're coming in and, and, you know, there's two types of people, givers and takers. We've got a bunch of givers that are, they're giving energy, excited to be there. Um, so it, it's been fun to be around those guys. And then I think you mentioned, yeah, you, you want, you need your veterans to carry you as those young guys pick things up. And, and we got a great group of veterans. We, we lost three great seniors, but, uh, but I love how our, our vets have, um, you know, stepped into that leadership role. Lorenzo Woods has been phenomenal, kind of helping grow those young guys. And um, we've got a lot of big brothers, mentors around the program as well that have been able to kind of talk into our guys and, and, and help them grow and talk about things that they did and experiences they had that helped shape them as well. Coach, I'm going to ask you, um, you know, how you guys are navigating this blanket COVID waiver. I know at the junior college I'm at now, you know, we kind of have preliminary discussions and kind of, you know, as a coaching staff, take a straw poll. Hey, who do we think's coming back, uh, and whatnot? How are you guys handling that at the division? Yeah, I mean, level? it's. Um, I guess it'll be to to be determined with with most of the younger guys. But um, well, all of our guys wanted to come back to campus. They wanted to play, uh, with the exception of two of our seniors who looked at it and said, "Well, if this um, if this is it, maybe I'll pump the brakes and take a gap semester." So we had a couple guys do that. Um, and but that, that was that was their decision they're looking into and uh so that I guess that situation worked itself out and then the NCAA came back and said that guys won't lose a year. And so those guys um they'll join us now at the semester and uh and then be able to come back for, for next year. So uh, I guess what it means too is it's two less recruits that we'll bring in. Um so yeah, it, it can impact recruiting at least for the for the immediate future. Two less guys that we'll bring in for 21. Gotcha. I know that, you know, you guys are able to package pretty well there. So I wasn't sure if, you know, obviously there's some schools where you're in an arm and a leg, um, you know, are you assuming guys are coming back or whatnot? But um, obviously with the success you guys are having, you as their head coach, uh, you know, I, I don't know why if, if money wasn't an issue, guys wouldn't want to come back. Yeah. And, well, and back that's the thing. I'm, money is an issue. And so of the three, two guys had to take a gap semester and, and, one that that couldn't is um is going to be going into grad school a year from now. So, yeah, I think I think money at the Division three pl- level is is playing a huge factor. And the only way that guys have been able to kind of navigate it is by taking a gap semester or gap year. No, I definitely agree with that, Coach. 
you know, your teams have increased their win total each season at Randolph-Macon. And I know, you know, we talked about pressure versus stress. Do you feel, do you or your players feel added pressure being the hunted rather than What we than like to hunter? say is pressure is a privilege. And uh, so, no, I think – and we like being hungry. We like being the, being the hunter regardless. So I, I think it's something that this group has become more comfortable with. Um, you know, we've, we've been ranked, and yet we, we go out there to be aggressive and to put our stamp on the game. And we, we try not to look at the, the rankings as it is. Uh, you know, that's what other people think of us. And maybe it's good for recruiting, but we try not to never to judge ourselves on that. We judge, be where your feet are, judge yourself on how you play that current game and even that current possession. And, uh, you know, don't look too far ahead and let's not look behind. But that pressure is a privilege. You know, people expect us to win because other teams, other Randolph-making teams and, and coaches have done it. And so that's where the expectation and – that, and that's a great thing to have, that tradition, that winning tradition, that expectation – that we should go out and, and compete and have success. Uh, that That's a good thing. That holds you to a, a standard that, that everyone should want to be held to. You know, every job has its pros and cons. Every level has its pros and cons. What are your favorite and least favorite aspects of being a D3 head coach? I, I'm sure that, you know, you wish yeah. you could coach your guys year round. Uh, obviously, division. Yeah, that's the biggest one. That. I mean, that's the biggest one for me. I, they, they could also do a better job with the division three recruiting days you know in division one and two now you have you have a lot of uh what is i don't know blackout dates is the word but days that you can't dead period days that you can't be out dead period um and in division three is 365 and so you know there's that feeling that if i'm not out there um you're getting outworked or there's that feeling that uh well this coach came to see me and, and why aren't you here and uh so i would say those two things but yeah, I love working with the athletes. I think they love working with the coaches. And I think it's still crazy that, um, you know, we're so hands-off. I mean, they're they're paying money to play college basketball. And, and yet we've got this archaic rule that says we can't even work out with them for a couple hours a week. That's still, that's still craziness to me. But I'll keep crossing my fingers and hoping for a change sometime. Coach, what's your craziest recruiting story? Obviously, you've coached at different levels. You've coached at different locations. What's that craziest recruiting <laughs> oh, story? Oh, man, craziest. Crazy can mean a lot of things. Um, craziest recruiting story. Uh, I, I know at EKU one time I drove to Memphis to see a kid. Now, Memphis is like six and a half hours and I, I went a day early because we were supposed to be playing in the OVC tournament the next day. So I go up early, um, leave early. And then there's like a hailstorm in Memphis. There's flooding. It takes me like an extra two and a half hours. Ends up being an eight-hour drive. Because I left early enough, I'm getting there right at game time. But there's so much flooding around the school that uh, the game has been canceled due to flooding. So I got an eight-hour drive to get there. Memphis was, I forget how far it was from, from Nashville, but then it was a drive back to the hotel that night and um, didn't get to see the kid. The kid, Barry Stewart, ends up going to Mississippi State and having a great career in the SEC. And I'm not saying we would have got him uh, had I been there, but uh, missed the chance to see him play in high school at least. Man, if only when they were recruiting him, he had uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. games get canceled. Maybe. Shelvin Mack was another one that, um, you know, just loved watching that kid. He was at he was playing at Bryan Station in Lexington. Uh, we were recruiting him. Felt like we had a good shot at it. Butler was the only other – not the only other school, but I would say the main competitor because um, he, he did like us and it was close to home. Um, and Brad Stevens basically said, hey, you know, I'm going to come watch you the first day that I can come watch you. You know, don't make any decisions until I come see you. He went up and saw him work out, and that was it. Brad Stevens offered him. Shelvin Mack had an unbelievable career, two championship games and then played in the league. Oh, no doubt. And coach, I'm not going to ask about the desire to coach at another NCAA level, but when all is said and done, what do you want your legacy at Randolph making, as well as your time at Yeah, I mean, we preach to our guys, be where your feet are, and, and I, I want to take I want to take that to heart. Um, so I love, and we also tell our guys, lo love what you do, who you do it with, and where you're at. And so when I was at Salisbury, I was never looking around. Now that I'm at Macon, I'm never looking around. 
uh, the grass is not always greener. And what what I want is uh, yep. I want my players 20, 30 years from now to say great things about their experiences in the, in the program that they play for. So, you know, whether that's that coach cared about me deeply, um, whether that's I, I loved my teammates, I got better, I developed, helped me become the man that I became. Uh, that That's most important to me. So all my energy and focus is in getting the right guys and then helping them to develop into the best versions that they can be, um, you know, become excellent, become all that they can be. And, uh, and there's a lot that goes into that. And, and I'm working at that every day to kind of figure out because it's different different buttons and triggers to push for each guy. And uh, so trying to bring out the best in each guy is, uh, is where my energy and focus are. Coach, I really like that. So we've come to the segment I call start back cut. Give you three things. You start one, finish one, and cut Let's one. Let's do it. Nike, Adidas, Nike. Under Armour. So do I say? Uh, so which one of those am I start? Okay, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bench Under Armour. I'm gonna cut Adidas and start Nike. Okay. Uh-huh. Jordan, LeBron, Kobe. Oof. Oh, that's a tough one, man. That is a tough one. Um, you probably can't go wrong. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start Kobe. It was a great loss that that he's no longer with us. I will uh, bench MJ, even though the last dance is phenomenal. Um, and I will cut cut LeBron, but not because I don't like him, just because the other two are, are studs in their own right. Okay, I like that. Uh, cookout, <laughs> I'm cutting Bojangles. Um, I'll start Chick-fil-A, and I will bench Cookout. So yeah, it doesn't look like you eat much fast food anyway. You're still pretty. David, I, if, I if bet you can no still one, get up and I down do. With players. I, I do, and I love that, and uh, and I want to always be in game shape. But if the listeners get nothing else, it's um, I, I hope they. I want to challenge their eating habits. So COVID, I've, I've been able to maybe dive in and eat more healthy, but we haven't been on the road, so I haven't been eating as much fast food. I mean, none of it, none of it since COVID hit. And so my challenge when, when recruiting does open back up is I would rather go hungry than stop at a fast food place, in, including Wawa subs. I've cut out Wawa subs too. I'm considering that fast food as well. Maybe the listeners take that from here. <laughs> yeah, maybe that changes your world. Who knows? Wow. <laughs> okay. You're from Maryland, so this is a Maryland-themed uh, question. Good Charlotte. OAR. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut good Charlotte. I'll bench Drew Hill, but I will start OAR. Love those guys. Yeah, no, they're great live. Coach uh, Glory Road, Coach Carter. Start Hoosiers. Hoosiers. Uh, I'll I'll bench Glory Road and cut. Uh, Carter, I'll, I'll they're all good. Glory Road and cut. Okay, last one. Hoop dirt, verbal commits, <laughs> coaching changes. Oh, man. Um, Got to start hoop dirt. I'll say coaching. I'll bench coaching changes. And uh, I'll cut verbal commits. Coach, who are three Ooh. guests I should have on the podcast? I would say Mo Williams. If you haven't talked to Mo, Mo would be phenomenal. Uh-huh. Um, I'd love to see Jared Lyons, you know, another guy that I've worked with. Um, do you interview, you interview anyone in terms of, uh, it doesn't have to be a head coach. could be any level. Anyone. Nope. Yep. Any level, just somebody who, you know, yeah, Chris, coach, Chris, aspiring coaches or Chris Hamilton. Uh, want to move up the ladder. Who, uh, I recruited from Ohio to Randolph-Macon who played for coach Davis and then was, was my assistant and is now an assistant with Dale Wellman, would be another one. Um, he'd be another great one, too. I would say Chris Hamilton. Assistant at Nebraska Wesleyan now. Okay. Now, you know, throughout the interview, you've given great advice, uh, great quotes. What would be your, your kind of elevator pitch to – coaches wanting to move up the ranks or get advice into to coaches wanting to move up the ranks or get into coaching. Um, love what you do. 
love what you do. Have a pro mentality. I, there was a great line that said pros, they, they do. Uh, so I guess amateurs uh, love what they do. Pros do what they love. And so like just falling in love with the work is what I would say. Um, and then, and then be a sponge and learn as much as you can, you know, um, have that humility, no ego, take as many notes as you can ask great questions. Like you're going about right now, just asking great questions, great questions, get great answers, but, uh, believe in yourself and then do, do the work. You know, love what you do. That's great stuff, coach. If listeners want to get in touch with oh, you, what's the best way? Social, social media, media email, what yet. Um, I've, I've dialed it. I was bad before, and then I've even dialed it down. So uh, they can email me, Josh Merkel at rmc.edu. Um, I would say that would be the best, but I, I usually give out my cell to, to a lot of people as well. So uh, they can reach my cell as well, 443-365-3159. If they, they took the time to listen to this whole podcast, they, they deserve to get the cell number. <laughs> <laughs> Well said, Coach. You know, Coach, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. I know a, a couple guests have, you know, mentioned uh, that you would be a great guest, and I, I knew you would be. I think the world of you. I remember when, uh, you know, I was not retained at Catholic. I had told Will Page, I said, you know, there was another coach, another school recruiting. I said, between those two guys, you're not going to find two better guys in, in the business. I don't think you can go wrong with either of them, and uh, you know, anybody listening, any potential student athletes, if this guy's recruiting you, you should jump immediately because he is a rising star in the business and just one of the best people and one of the best coaches. Well, Dave, I, I applaud you, man, for putting the podcast together, asking great questions, did all your homework. Uh, it, it was fun to dive into some of this stuff. So I, I know you're learning and growing, and um, it, it's awesome to see people come out of this better than when they came in. So it looks like you're attacking this time as well. So kudos to you, and thanks for having me on, thinking enough of me. Thanks, Coach. I would say next time I'm driving <laughs> up 95, we should go to cookout. But uh, we'll have to find a nice, healthy deli, my treat. We'll, we'll watch we, our we, calories. We can get a cup of we'll, coffee. Uh, it's all right. We'll continue to win or, the weight. Or you can, you can get cookout, and, and I'll watch you eat. But, all right. Yeah, well, let's, we can get together. Give me a shout. <laughs> all right, take care. Thanks, David. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.